One more week to get your stuff on the table back there. That would be much, much appreciated. Let's see. I want to also mention particularly that um, during her post-op visit, Chris Borth was given an updated diagnosis, and her cancer is at a stage two. And so she uh, will undergo a mastectomy, and that date has not yet been set. We obviously want to pray for Chris and Steve and the family as uh, her story and health issues continue to uh, evolve. Well, our series is Better Together, and uh, there are a lot of uh, signs in the world, a few church signs that you might enjoy that, uh, put up a couple of those, go ahead and put the first one up there, whoops, we got Colleen, we'll do her next week, having trouble sleeping, try one of our sermons. So there we go. I love that one on the church sign. Go ahead and put up the next one. Respect your parents. They passed school without Google. Okay, some of us older ones. Yeah, Fred, I see the feedback there. You understand. Next one, please. Here we have the Cape Coral Community Church. Now is a good time to visit. Our pastor is on vacation. <laughs> Can't take yourself too seriously. And I like this one. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. All right. The reason I mention these signs is in a very interesting quote by uh, Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian. He described the church as a sign. And here's the way he said it. The church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. Let's see if we can unpack that just a minute. What, it is, what does he mean? Why does he say this? And what does this look like at McKnight Crossings? I think it's a really great quote. In other words, first of all, that the church itself is a sign. The church is a sign that looks different from other signs. In fact, he uses the word radically dissimilar. In other words, it's countercultural. And the church is a sign that looks different and is full of hope and possibility, full of promise. Why does Bart say this? Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul sums up the great sweep, the great scheme of God that started before time, that was hidden for many generations, and then was revealed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself is at the heart of that, uh, that plan. In God's redemption, and, and we know that this is a part of the gospel story, he chose us, but he also chose the church to be saved, to be rescued by his son, and then to reflect, to be image bearers of his son. I want to show you four passages from the book of Ephesians, and then I want to make three applications this morning. 
the first scripture is from Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Get this. And God placed all things under his feet. That it is under the Lord Jesus. And appointed him to be head over everything. Here's our first passage. For the church, which is his body. Okay. Who fills the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church as the body of Christ. First of all, he's head over everything for the church. And as the body, we are the fullness of him, the full expression. We complete him better together through Jesus Christ. Most of us in this room remember the first part of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians where God has saved us by grace through faith and we remember that great passage, we're saved by grace through faith and this not from ourselves. Well, just a few verses later in chapter 2, in verses 14 through 16, the text says this, For he himself is our peace, who was made the two groups one, as Brad just prayed this morning, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For, go ahead, the next uh, slide, please. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two groups, and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. Next verse, 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death, by which he put to death their hostility. Now that's a lot to take in, and I understand that. But let's, let me recap. What did Christ do? He brought peace. He brought unity. He brought oneness between Jews and Greeks between outsiders and insiders, between religious and pagan, one people, one body. In fact, in uh, chapter 3 then, Paul describes this as a mystery. The plan of God is going to be revealed, and the mystery was that Jews and Gentiles are part of one family. God saves us, yes, he saves us, but he saves a people. He saves us not only for heaven, but he saves us for earth. Now, I'm not finished explaining Bart's description of the sign. Ephesians 3, 9 and 10. This is from the New Living Translation. I thought maybe it was just a little bit clearer. I was chosen to explain to everyone, Paul says, this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this, now get this, was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know about your response to that, but to me, this is just remarkable. In fact, it's uh, incomprehensible, frankly, 
The purpose of the church is for God to show off himself, his creativity, his wisdom in all its dimensions. To our neighbors, of course, right around this building, to our community, but to the universe, to all those in God's cosmic world, seen and unseen, described here as rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is quite a vision. Let me give you one more verse, and this is our signature verse. Let's see this again. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. We read it three times now this morning. Then all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think the passage is trying to tell us that we can't even begin to put a calculator to what God is doing. It is so much more. And there is glory, yes, in Christ, but there is glory in the church. And it's obvious to most of us that there's glory in the Christ, but the church? So I want us to see that in light of uh, Karl Barth's observation... If Paul is telling the truth of the glory, meaning when heaven invades our space and time. Now look around. I see a bunch of ordinary folks in a rather ordinary auditorium. And I think it might be a little bit challenging for us to see the truths of this passage in Ephesians and then look at ourselves. Can we see the glory? How can there be such glory here? Well, don't forget that any time the church is praising God, and you've submitted in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're exalting Jesus, the powers of the universe are paying attention. God is being glorified. But now on a horizontal plane, here is my thesis this morning that there is glory in the church. Go ahead and put up the next slide, Jeff. I believe we've got it. When God, in his rich variety of wisdom, is bringing together people for a purpose through Jesus Christ. God, in his rich variety of wisdom, is bringing people together through Jesus Christ. So to continue with Bart's thought that the church is a sign, what does the sign look like at McKnight Crossings? I want to just suggest three ways that I think that uh, might fit the, both the biblical vision 
and Bart's summary of radically dissimilar, countercultural that is, and full of promise. The first one is this. I would call it simply old and young together. I believe that's a sign. Much in the Bible is about the older passing to the younger. So little in our culture is about this. Of course, it is often the young that are idealistic and have the zeal and are ready to make a difference. So the learning must go both ways, amen? We must learn from the teenagers in terms of their own coming to faith and what they're seeing and hearing and understanding. And we don't want to be a place here at McKnight Crossings that sees the youth as the future of the church, but sees the youth as the church today. And when we're doing that, old and young together, the next generation ministry will continue to be a priority and this sign will be a witness to this community, to this city, and to the rulers and the principalities in the cosmic universe. Number two, I want to suggest that the second area in our politically loaded culture is left and right together. Is that too far out? Could we do that? The masked and the unmasked? Rather than labeling others where we quickly harbor suspicion and mistrust, and every time something is said that doesn't scratch our political leanings, we fire back or shut down or leave the church or post something on Facebook, what if there was a different response where we would say, we are in Christ? That this is the place of our identity and that it is deeper than our politics. Could we agree on that? I think we can. And what this allows, if we can get the essence of this idea that our first identity is in Christ as the body where God is doing his work, is making himself manifest, then we can talk. We can have conversations. We can dialogue about different difficult things. Things we might agree on, things we might disagree on. The big question, you see, under this way of thinking is already answered in Jesus Christ. So love and trust can come first. Philip Yancey said it this way, and I think it, maybe it captures the essence of this sign that I believe is a sign. To our world. He said it this way, 
Politics draws lines between people. In contrast, Jesus' love cuts across those lines and dispenses grace. That does not mean, of course, that Christians should not involve themselves in politics. It simply means that as we do so, we must not let the rules of power displace the command to love. If we could take on that mindset, our identity centered in Christ, foremost, it allows those conversations when we agree and even when we don't see eye to eye. The third area I want to suggest, much like Jew and Greek, is black and white together. Can we do that? Well, we are doing that, but I think we can do that even more so. And I think it will be an incredible sign, an incredible witness to our world. The history of our country has been one where white people have directly and indirectly been dream crushers so often. And we want the opposite. We want the opposite in this place where we enable, where we are dream enablers for people of color. And while progress has been slow, we have a great history of black and white here, of black leadership in this congregation, and a keen sensitivity by so many in this congregation to the concerns of black people and the potential for black and white together. All of that leads me to believe that God has called us, in the words of Mordecai to Esther, for such a time as this. Now, I invite your feedback. And if you had to come up with your list of ways this church is a sign to our neighborhood and to our community and to our city and to the universe, there are a lot of other things we could put on that list. There are a lot of ways that this church could serve and we could, uh, we, we could be a witness to the world of something radically dissimilar and full of promise. But I think those are pre three pretty important ones, old and young together, left and right together, black and white together. These are the ones that God has put in front of us as the signs of God's glory in the church.